I'm Phoebe Schechter, and you're listening to the Drop Back Podcast. The Drop Back with Sam Lewis, Matt Burns Peak, Joe Costanzo, and Sam Wilson. special guest this week, Phoebe Schechter of Buffalo Bills GB Bills fame. Thanks for downloading this week's episode of the podcast. My name is Joe and I'm joined by Sam Lewis. Hey Joe, good to be here. Matt Burns Peak. Sup Joey. And last but not least, Stan Wilson. Hey Joe, glad to be back talking football with you guys. How we doing boys? Big week this week, isn't it? Yeah, I'm good. Ooh. Yeah, it's a big one. We got we got a couple. We got three uh, great guests lined up for you. Also, uh, stay tuned. But you won't know about them until after the episode. Wait, I just want to preface this: don't go through this podcast expecting three guests to turn up unless it's me, Matt, and Stan. You're going to be disappointed. Yeah, those, we've, got those guest, we've got one guest. We've got one guest this week, but she makes up for three. We're just thinking yeah. down the pipeline. Lots of stuff moving. Yeah. We do indeed, but uh, I'll tell you what is moving. Britball. Britball's moving. Yes. Yeah, we've got the South Coast Cup coming up, I believe, in February. Stan knows more about the details. I'm going to defer to him. Yeah, just quite, yeah, just quite exciting announcement. Last week, Portsmouth, University of Portsmouth, they announced that they will be holding a South Coast Cup uh, with four teams across the South Coast, ironically. Um, the Portsmouth Destroyers, Sussex Saxons, Chichester Spitfires and Brighton Panthers will all be foregoing the Bucks season should it happen and they will be holding their own local competition, the South Coast Cup. Now, this competition will be made up, with, as I said, of four teams but across two different divisions. So you've got the Destroyers and the Panthers who come from Division 1A South and the Saxons and the Spitfires who come from 2A South. So potentially there could be quite a disparity in the strength of the competition. But it's going to make for an interesting competition in general. And at last, Union Ball is back. Absolutely. So we've got, we've got something to be excited for. We've waited about six months for this, so it's good to have something positive in the works. It's all been delay after delay. These four teams taken into their own hands now and bringing something to look forward to. We're going to, we're going to try and yeah. get down, give you guys a bit of content going around Brit Ball. But as it is, this is all we've got at the moment. So it's what we're going to make of it. Yeah, mm. and how dynamic are those team names as well? Wow, the Sussex. Sussex. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of a team called the Destroyers before. That's fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah, Sussex Saxon, whose uh, D line is coached by our very own Nathan Barber. So yes, it is. Oh. I was going to say, super fan, Nathan. Friend Barber. of the podcast. Friend of the pod. I I just want to say as well, like the decision to forego the Bucks season was, was an interesting one. Obviously being that if the season was going on, I doubt would have any real league implications. So to come out and arrange a game is just extraordinary from these teams in general. Well, on that front, I think it was the whole of University of Portsmouth that withdrew from Bucks this year. I don't know if that's a permanent move or it's just a, this year during COVID, but it wasn't just the American football team, but the American football team has made a good deal out of it, bringing these three teams into the fold again. Because these teams... It's hard enough for players to get involved in American football anyway without it being wiped out. So kudos for this lot for actually and providing their players with some sort of sport. 
Yeah, and fair play to Portsmouth as well. They announced their roster numbers on their Instagram the other day, and the sheer number of players they have signed up is absolutely amazing. They've got like 20 position, twenty players in the defensive back group alone and just a ton all over the field, so credits to them. We've got a fan question coming in from Tom Main at the main man. Main he's, also man. Asked us, he's also asked us to shout out his team, the Bristol Barracuda, so shout out to them. Shout out to Bristol Barracuda. Hi guys, really enjoying the podcast. Keep up the good work. So my question is, with Justin Herbert's offense drawing a blank against the Patriots, they've added another loss to their uh, to the L column when it, with him starting as QB. He's now two and nine as a starting QB. And I'm just wondering why the guy who was drafted above him, Tua Tagovailoa, isn't getting any consideration at all for offensive rookie of the year, considering he's got a winning record as a starting QB. Yes, he has fewer games, and their Miami's defense is is awesome, but. I'm just wondering why getting the you know getting the wins and getting the job done isn't a factor. As Herbert Sof- Herbert might be putting up good numbers, but they're not getting any wins. Thanks, guys. So thank you for that question, Tom. As always, everyone can send us any question they have. Just DM us at the Dropback on Instagram. What do you guys think of this? I know we mentioned Rookie of the Year. Hmm. Can we just let Matt get his bias out of the way first? Yeah. yeah. Go on then, Matt. Well. I don't necessarily agree that Tua should be Rookie of the Year, but I do like the argument of, you know, he's been getting results and he's been doing enough to to help his team win in every time every time he started. So, yeah, what happened at Denver? That doesn't matter about Denver, okay? <laughs> Denver was it, was it was a silly game. Um, <laughs> it was one. It was you one of those. Just called the game. It's silly. a silly game. By that argument, then the Pats game doesn't matter for Herbert. Yeah, yeah it was, was just a silly game. game. It was a fluke. And to be fair, Belichick does absolutely destroy every rookie quarterback he comes across as well. Yeah, which which does need to be taken into consideration with this because, uh, you know, Justin Herbert is not the first and won't be the last rookie qu- uh, quarterback who gets completely bamboozled by Belichick. Like, I don't think that's a huge... I'm, I'm not worried about Justin at Herbert after that game. Um but I think it is, it is a fair fair comment to say that, I mean, Rookie of the Year is a bit steep, but I think Tua should be getting, um, you know, I think he should be getting more more praise than he perhaps has done so far. Well, he might win Young Dolphin of the Year if that's a competition. <laughs> it, it, it should be, and he should. Just going on to the topic of QB wins, like, as mentioned in the brief DM conversation we had, I don't value QB wins as a valid metric. Yeah. Especially, especially when it comes to awards like this, because... It places too much value. Ben Roethlisberger would be, would be MVP front runner at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it places too much value on the team's defense. So in Miami, they have got an elite defense. They got top five defense in the league. Whereas in in LA with the Chargers, the same can't be said. So it's just yeah. it's not very valid metric to me. But also, it hasn't it hasn't actually been a considerable factor in this award. Like four of the last six have had losing seasons for their team. So clearly not something that they take into account in a strong way. Not so much for Rookie of the Year. And just going back to that Chargers-Pats game, I think that was just a complete, like, I, w- I want to say one-off because we saw what Herbert was doing throughout the season. He's setting records and some of the names he's beating on these records are, are ridiculous. So coming into that, you just have to keep that in mind when you're thinking about the Rookie of the Year conversation. Like, I don't think two are coming in halfway through the season. Mm-hmm. It's really going to 
honestly have a, have an effect. Plus, I think there's yeah. four other guys that I'd still have above two, and not counting Herbert. I think Jefferson, oh, please. Jefferson's one B at the moment. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, that's sure. fine. Chase yeah. Claypool. Yeah. James Robinson. Yeah. yeah. Antonio Gibson. Oh, okay. Yeah. Antonio Gibson's a bit steep. Uh, yeah. Antonio really? Gibson's a, a bit Antonio steep. Gibson's above Tua this year in terms of. Absolutely. I'm not saying he's ever a better career, but he's tied third in the league in touchdowns. How can you expect someone to be rookie of the year if they come in like at that period of the season? I'm not but... expecting Tua to be rookie of the year, but I'm saying he's been more impressive than, than Gibson, I think. Yeah, but. Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't even having a bad season at the start of the year. Your defense is very good. You like stand well, defense is very good. good. I appreciate you saying that, Joe. But exactly. Tua, I think Tua's done some nice things. And no one's shown... saying he's not. Yeah, he's he's allowed yeah. to do nice things. He just isn't rookie. Of the... I, yeah, I think Gibson's on track or or something to like break the rookie rushing touchdown record as well. Yeah, that's very true. That might not be a correct stat, but I'm pretty sure I heard it somewhere. And that's about as good as it gets. That that's a lie. We're usually better than this. As good as it gets. Um, no, I, th- I don't think you can say that Tua serves the award more than Gibson does at this point. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think I mean, either of them will win it. But it's yeah. Herbert anyway, so it's an irrelevant conversation. Maybe Jefferson. I think. Jefferson I think every could... everyone just in general with watching sports, you, everyone has a tendency to react too much to like the last week. Whereas if you just look at the season, Herbert is having a phenomenal season last week or if he scored any points or not, it doesn't matter. Um, and he's done a lot of that without Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler was one of the shining points of that very bad day for them. He was like the only thing good about the Chargers offense that day. And that's just impressive to me. So I think you should win. Rookie no, that's a very fair point, Joe. Cheers. Mm. Uh, I do make them occasionally, but it, <laughs> it takes some time. It's getting to head, man. Thanks. Anyway, so um, after all this cooking talk of the NFL 2020 season, the Washington football team cooked up some mushy bees this weekend. <laughs> please, oh, tell, please tell me you didn't spend a long time on that segue. <laughs> segue. <laughs> very big inverted commas. Segway. Beating the previously undefeated Steelers and advancing to a whopping five and seven. What do we? What do you guys think of this? <laughs> I don't know what to think anymore after after that pun. Um, no one thought this was going to happen. It was it was just weird. The the Steelers' offense was not good at all. I mean, it was hampered by a lot of drops. They've had like sixteen last in the last yeah, two that, weeks but now. I, 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 I put that in the bracket of being not good. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. But, I mean, you've got to credit the Washington defense because they played really well. I mean, yeah, aside true. from the the um, the drops of the Steelers, which is unfortunate, but or just bad, depending on how you look at it, they did a great job shutting down that quick passing attack that Pittsburgh has sort of turned into. So mm. they did well. And I think it it's not really a blueprint of how you stop them, though, because not every team has a Montez Sweat and Chase Young on either side of the exactly. defensive line. So it's not something you can copy. But, I mean, Washington worked with what they got. They controlled the ball. I mean, they got a bit lucky just before half time with Alex Smith blatantly cheating. But if you don't get caught, does He's it matter? Cheating. Then you've done nothing wrong. <laughs> exactly. So, no, well played to Washington. And they've quietly had a really good defense this season as well. It's top 10 yeah. in the league, and especially how they started – if Antonio Gibson comes back strong, Alex Smith is moving, the, is taking care of the ball. They could 
I'm not saying they're going to do well, but they could annoy some teams in the running that are looking for a playoff push. So are they are they top of the division? They're tied. They're tied with tied tied with the Giants. But I can see the way they're playing. I can see them beating Seattle in a couple of weeks. I mean, especially the way Seattle played this weekend. I I wouldn't. Yeah, I think that's 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 not unrealistic, Slew. Um, But I think yeah, to further your point about their defense, the way they just completely took away the run game for the Steelers, I think had a huge impact on this game. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, and the fact that the Steelers, obviously, you're missing James Connor. that's a big loss. Say. Benny Snell didn't perform very well, he lost touch, I think it was McFarland who received the most carries out of that backfield, yeah. so at the end of the day, they didn't have their their A game on when they were rushing, and yeah, they just need James Conner to succeed, and that's been quite clear over the last couple of weeks. I think looking at both sides, if I would say that watching the games, the Steelers played like the better team throughout the game. Like anytime I was watching the series, like they're obviously the better team. Deontay Johnson was having a bit of a day. Um, but then on the other side of it, Washington football team were just a lot more willing to be scrappy, I feel. And like as the game went on, they basically would get away with things and on defense. And, you know, I felt like they had more grit going through the game because, like, yeah, the Steelers were up early, but. Logan Thomas had a big day. Alex Smith is, is actually looking like comeback player of the year. I'm, I'm, and that's, you know. I mean, I think that has to be a lock at this point. He basically had one leg. Yeah. And you don't want to be the Steelers in a situation where you're given the ball with two minutes, four seconds left, three timeouts, and basically game-winning driver, and you instantly throw a pick. Like, I, obviously, the Montez Sweat thing, very lucky getting a deflection up in the air, but that's... Two weeks in a row, though, he's done that. Yeah, I was going to say that ain't luck, Jerry. That that's the, man's, the man's size. good at that. Mm. The man's he's good big, at that. He's a big, he's boy. A big boy. Is he six? He's like six four, six five. Yeah, I mean, he's nothing on you, Stan, but he's a big boy. Yeah, he's I mean, not, not quite that. Probably up to your shoulder, mate. But other than that, like, it's pretty big. He's got to keep eating his your books. And to be fair, a turning point in this game was the injury to Spillane. I mean, he he was already replacing Devin Bush, and the defense Washington were able to move the ball much easier after he went out. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. True. I think it's in a way it might be kind of good for the Steelers because it's get, from getting rid of the pressure of having that O next to your record at the end of the day. They have like some excuses in the fact that James Conner wasn't playing and that rushing attack did look a lot different without James Conner in there, which I think answers a lot of questions personally. Uh, I know that was going around with us. T- he, doesn't, he, he gets a lot of yards, but it does take him like 25 carries to hit, to hit those big numbers. He never sort of runs off a consistent 20 yard runs he does it's a lot of do, it's a lot of three yard ploddings yeah but it's, it, yeah it's where it's needed though he may, he's not this like big showcase back like he's not he's not that guy he does he gets the yards where he's needed though and he, he's much more effective than mcfarlane um, snarl would be yeah he's, he's he's a workhorse kind of back like with, we, we're speaking about with james robinson and stuff he's not the getting the massive yards per carry but he, you can keep hammering him the ball mm. and it's it's it works out for the Steelers and they definitely, I felt like they missed out on him. I, I genuinely think though, um, and to be fair, this is more of a putting praise on the Washington front seven rather than yeah. bashing James sure. Connor. I, I, I'm not convinced he would have made that big a difference in this game in with the way that that front seven played uh, for Washington. I, I, I don't think yeah. as, and we've said, as we've said about James Connor before, he doesn't have that explosive you know, he's not going to reel off a 20, 30 yard run. He's good between the tackles, yes. But I think the speed that that front seven were getting to the ball carrier 
against the Steelers, it wouldn't really have mattered, to be honest. Yeah, the one thing he would have added was a safe pair of hands when you decide to forego the entire wide receiver core on fourth and one to basically cost yourself the game. Mm, that is true. On the other side of things, we had Baker Mayfield with an amazing performance against the Titans, proving his haters wrong the sequel part four. Uh, do the pe- sequel part four. No, that, that's totally accurate as well, because we have yeah. this with Baker Mayfield. He, he, people have got to stop being he's either amazing or he's terrible. He's so polarizing, he's isn't dec- he? He's a decent quarterback, and when the conditions are right, i.e. there's no pass rush or defensive back play like the Titans... Yeah, he'll have a really good game because he. Yeah, can but be it's accurate. not the same for every quarterback if there's no pass rush. That, exactly. Well, that's what it is. He, if he's under a lot of pressure and there's bad conditions, he's not going to set the world on fire. He's not. He's not going to win you games unless you've got defenses like this. But he's not going to. I don't know. I just on think the... he's decent. People have got to stop hating on him. He's not a top guy. He's not a bottom guy. If they get a rushing attack going and they're up ahead, he'll be fine. That's what they need. On, yeah. on that note, like like you were saying, I think it also comes down to the tools on offense. If you look last year when he wasn't that good, like he de- genuinely had a really bad offensive line, and his offensive line's got a lot better this year. The um, line this year is ridiculous. He, he's got a capable coach as well, and Ste- Kevin Stefanski over uh, what's his freaking name? He doesn't deserve to be Kitchens. named. Yeah, For he, he shall not be named. He who shall not be named. Um, but yeah, like anything's an improvement over that. And they've got a very capable coach. The whole offensive scheme is different. Uh, Nick Chubb just bounces off of people all the time. It's ridiculous. Kareem Hunt, on the other side of things, is another number one running back who they've, they've got two of, which is just insane to me. I think people overhype his highs and they overhype his lows. And he, like Slew said, he's, he's, he's a good player. He's good. He's not stellar. He's not, yeah. not going to win games if you've got nothing around him. Yeah. Fun little tidbit for you. I know you love these, Joe. I love these. You love it because give it to me. But... <laughs> the the Browns are undefeated when they score more than seven points in a game. Wait, more than seven. More than seven points. Their three losses have come to the Raiders, where they scored six points, the Steelers, where they scored seven points, and the Ravens, where they scored six points. That's an absolute. Well, there madness. you go, Browns. Just just launch one of your mates into the end zone and you'll be fine. I just get to thirty no, yards and seven. kick field goals. Yeah, Stop yeah, trying to do stuff. Three like field doing. goals, baby. Yeah, that, that, that is just a great stat as well, to be honest. I think the Browns' defense is very, like, not talked about for as good it is. No, it's, it's all right. The, a linebacking core isn't anything to worry about. Very all right. But you can't deny that Miles Garrett is, like, one of the best players in the league at the moment. Oh, no yeah, Miles Garrett's absolutely class. Yeah. No one was disputing his eliteness at all. Exactly. I think they've got a decent secondary as well, to be yeah. fair. Yeah, well, they've they got Denzel Ward, who was out, but other than that. That is true. In general, so without Grant Delpit as well, their safeties are a bit iffy to be desired. Yeah. But their defensive line is genuinely pretty good. Yeah, and I think that's why they're able to basically win this game. They they were they got fortunate, got a couple of turnovers early. Like I said, the Titans decided to not try and stop anyone in the end until it was way too late. So I mean, this game was over by halfway through the second quarter. Because the Titans aren't a team that are going to come from behind when you're in the... I mean, no one's really going to come from that big a deficit unless you're the Chiefs, so... Yeah. Or just a very pass-heavy team, which the Titans are not. Yeah, the, the, the Titans wrote their fate on the wall very early doors with some ridiculous mistakes and sort of drive-killing plays, and they left themselves too much to completely. You, you feel... It's all well and good having a Derrick Henry run offence, but when you're down by that much... 
you don't have enough time. Yeah, even if Henry's insane, it, you can only do so much with just the when when they scored forty one points. You know, um, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. They did make a decent go of it though, almost getting back yeah. in the game. Yeah, it's one of those things where the scoreline at the end flatters yeah. to, flatters yeah. to deceive a bit because they didn't they score right at Garbage. the end of the game. Yeah, yeah. So I mean. You say you go back into it, you look at the score sheet, it's Tyson's fine, it doesn't feel as depressing, but that t- the team won't be happy with that, and realistically, they were never that close to winning the game. Yeah, absolutely. So now, the moment you've all been waiting for, Sam and Matt's interview with Phoebe Schechter. Take it away. It's Sam and Matt here, and we're joined by Phoebe Schechter. How are you doing, Phoebe? I'm very well, thank you. How are you guys doing? Good, doing awesome. Great to have you on the show. Uh, we've got a lot of a lot of questions. I haven't worn my Miami top on purpose for this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. <laughs> well, so we'll kick it off with the beginning, really. I didn't realise that before prepping for this podcast that you weren't actually British, that you'd come from the U- US, and then, funnily enough, started playing American football in the UK. Yes, it's definitely been an interesting journey, Uh, not one I ever saw myself going on. (laughs) Um, But basically, so I've got dual citizenship, my mother's British, and I moved over here almost eight years ago. And I moved here originally to work with horses, which is what my passion's always been. And I got a job working for a guy on the Dutch Olympic team over here. Uh, And then you know, probably two months after moving here, I saw an ad on Facebook for basically for American football in Manchester. And at that time I was working six days a week. So I thought, how cool would it be if one day I could actually just kind of get out of the horse world, meet some people, maybe a bit of American culture. And that's pretty much what happened. Tried out for the team, even though I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I really never followed the sport. I know I hate saying that, but I, as an American, I'm ashamed, but uh, yeah, so I just got involved in the sport playing, um, and, and back then we started with the GB team before uh, moving on to like the club teams for women, and, and that really is kind of my journey in a nutshell in terms of getting involved in the sport. It's pretty impressive from having never played the sport to now being the GB captain. Was that a lot of hard work? Did it come naturally to you? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I've played, I, I think when you grow up in the States, you are kind of born to play some sport, right? Like it's, it's almost like in your DNA, you have to do it. Um, so I played a few team sports, basketball, softball, lacrosse. So I love being a part of a team. I love the energy that you get from other people. But when it came to, when it came to football over here, I started off as quarterback because Americans apparently are supposed to know how to throw a ball. <laughs> Shoehorned into the role, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I cannot throw a ball, to be clear. I've gotten better now, but I definitely could not throw back then. So when I when I started, uh, Jim Messenger was our head coach at the time, and we had this awesome QB come in trial um, called Joe Kilby, who's only recently just retired from the, the GBQB role. And basically, Coach Messenger said, you know, if if we can't find another role for you on the team, you know, we might have to cut you. So luckily at that time, I'd already naturally had a bit of an affinity for contact and they thought, well, let's just see what you're like on defense, see what happens. Um, and for me, that was, that was it. Like I absolutely fell in love with it. I loved playing linebacker. I loved hitting people. 
Uh, and that's kind of been my bread and butter ever since. And it's just kind of honing into my craft and, and seeing how I can get better. Now you're saying, saying that, I didn't realize that um, women's football here in the UK started off just as the GB team. So that growth has been, have you, you've been part of that as well. Yeah. So basically back, like when it really, really started, we had, there were three university teams. So there was Hertfordshire, Portsmouth and Southampton. Um, and they played five aside. And I think they'd had one, you know, I think they'd literally had one little like round robin tournament. And then from there, they created the GB team. We used to do these really, they were really great, to be honest. They were development days and we would base them in Warwick. And so we'd have these development days, you know, once a month. And from that, we chose the GB team who then played our first um, game, I think in 2013 against Sweden, five aside at, at the University of Hertfordshire. And I think once we won that, we really could believe in ourselves after that because we didn't, we didn't know anything about the sport. So, you know, once we kind of had that like love for it and playing other teams, that's when we started to grow and we played our first ever 11 aside game the following year. And it just kind of kept, you know, getting better and better by joining, you know, earning our right to get into the Euros and then the Worlds and the Euros again. So it's been really, really cool. Not too shabby at all then. And then you've taken quite a frontal role with it all with the UK Dukes as well. Did you see yourself from the beginning, like you said, it was just more of a pastime and now you've become almost this leading figure in women's football here? Yeah, it was, you know, it never was something that I, I really saw myself doing. Like I, so I stopped working with horses basically and and I was trying to find a way to get involved with the sport more. So I, I basically went and got my qualification to become like a personal trainer or like strength and conditioning coach because I thought that would give me the opportunity to have a more flexible schedule, make it to practices. So I knew that I was passionate about it, but you know, it probably wasn't until I, I really got involved with the UK Dukes about two years ago that I thought, oh my gosh, this is actually like a, a lifestyle now. I mean, through coaching, it's definitely a lifestyle and, and my experience with the Bills, that's been massive in terms of helping me to get to where I am now. But you know, when I really look at what I wanna do and I really look at where I am, moving to the UK and getting involved in the sport over here, or just getting involved in the sport in general, has totally changed my life. So for me, I want to make sure that I do everything I possibly can to give back to the people who've literally just given me so many opportunities. That, that's really awesome. And, and on that note, Phoebes, as well, um, what would you say is sort of like the next sort of step for uh, women's football in this country then? what What's the sort of goal in the next sort of five years to be able to achieve? So I'd say for in this country, currently we're playing seven aside football, which is you know, great to be able to play football, but ideally we want to play 11 aside because that's reflective of our national program. You're also giving girls the real feel, you know, we don't have special teams and that's a massive part of the game as you guys know. So you're really missing a lot of these key learnings, but I'd love mm. to see more female coaches, more female referees. Um, you know, I'm just, I'd love to see a female head coach of one of our teams. Uh, and it doesn't matter if it's contact, if it's flag, I just want to I want to make sure that females feel confident and empowered within themselves to take on these roles that they don't think, well, oh, it's just a man's sport or anything like that. Because there's, I think the thing that's so cool about the sport in this country is we're all learning together. And there's not really this massive hierarchy. I think there's fluctuation, but actually people are really quite open to sharing information and knowledge and, and open to helping others to, to build them up, you know? So I really hope for that. And I really hope that women don't have to pay to play on the national team. 
and men, so that doesn't matter. <laughs> really, anybody pay to play on the national team. <laughs> No one, no. no one should pay. Yeah, exactly. Would that be something you see yourself doing in the near future? That head co- coaching role, or you focus more on playing at the moment? So it's been an interesting topic because the women's head coach role has been up at the moment for GB. Um, personally, I, you know, it's definitely something I would look to in the future. At the moment, I just don't have the time to be able to commit to it. I'd love to, but mm. I, I want to give it everything. Um, and at this stage in my yeah. my career, I don't necessarily have time. But I would, it would definitely be something this next cycle that comes through, I would love to. And, and I think part of me, you know, it, it, I don't think that I'm done playing. I know I'm 31, <laughs> but I still feel like I am very capable at the position I play. And not even just the position, but like my role within the team. I still feel like that has a place. And I'd love to, you know, help kind of, you know, sh- not not shadow that's not the right word but I'd love to find someone to kind of men- mentor and take over that role and take on that leadership role within, within our team and we've got some really really great young players coming up through the ranks you know people like Sydney Green coming through who will be a great um, leader and face of the sport and it's just mentoring at the moment plus you love playing and I love hitting people <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) On that then side of the coaching, obviously we can't have you on here and not talk about your experience with the Bills because you'd be in trouble. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest success sources we've had within Britball at any point. So when you get there, was it a lot of as a linebacker, you then focused on that defensive side, or did they have you doing a little bit of everything? So my first training camp, I was out there with defensive backs. Um, So we would mix in obviously the core like uh, corners and safeties, but then. Specifically, I'd probably spend most of my time with corners over safeties. Um, And that was my first experience. And then the following year, when I came on for the whole season, I was there with tight ends. And that was a total, you know, other side of the ball for me, which is, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be with um, Bryant University on the East Coast. I volunteered with them for a season as an offensive assistant. So more so with quarterbacks, which just helped to kind of broaden my understanding of the sport. But being with tight ends is like a totally different environment. You know, they're they're awesome humans. They have to know the run and the pass game. You, we we ask a lot of our tight ends. You know, you have to be able to block this massive six technique. Yeah, the next second, I hope that you're running that perfect crisp route and you're expected to catch the football, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it was definitely a learning experience. But, you know, what a great group of guys to be with. Um you know, Charles Clay was my my probably go-to dude my first year who's been one of the best, you know, and uh, so to kind of be around him, learn from him and see how professional he was and and obviously, you know, we've had some great other guys like Logan Thomas I was with who's now killing it with the Washington football team, you know, there's been some awesome tight ends and, and then from my own personal growth, so through the season and then into OTAs, my coach at the time, Rob Boris, who still is the tight ends coach, he basically was like, okay, well, now that we're into OTAs, rookies are all yours. So install the offensive playbook, install all of this. I expect you to be running the guys like I, you know, as if you're their coach. So, you know, to have Dawson awesome. Knox in his first season, Tyler, um, Tommy Sweeney, you know, some really cool guys to come through and, and now be able to watch them and see how successful and like go through those challenges with them. It's just really, really special. Hmm. So Dawson Knox entirely down to you. Is what you're saying. I mean, I'll take it. He had like the most, (laughs) 
you know, his, his um, OTAs, his rookie OTAs were, he probably had one of the most, like, so we count all of our reps, everything we do, we count, but definitely count all their reps. And he probably had more reps than any, that's a very big statement, but more reps than like Greg Olson had um, his rookie year in terms of like, because we had two, three of our tight ends that were our veteran players were all out on injury. So he was getting all of the reps. So he had a really big experience, <laughs> but it's not me. I can't even take credit for it. <laughs> He's just an awesome player. You can take a bit of credit, I think. <laughs> no, but when, when you're out there, and obviously it's a completely different world to what football is now, are there aspects that you pick up the way they coach the, I mean, the counting reps you've just mentioned that we don't necessarily do here at the moment that would speed up that learning process we have here? Yeah, and there's, I think there's, that's the biggest thing, right? No matter wherever any of us go, wherever we, we got to make sure that we take really important parts, but how do we translate that to Brit ball? How do we translate that to a volunteer sport? And no, it's not going to be volunteer forever, but we got to be realistic with people's time and their family commitments. So I would say, you know, some of the top things, time, like literally have somebody to time your practices. That is so key so that you stay on schedule and you don't get lost with that. Oh, let's do two more reps in this period or whatever that may be. Um, The energy you bring as a coach, you know, we would be doing reps. Our guys would be running routes and like my tight end coach, Rob, he would be running down, meeting them at the end of their route, coaching them up on the run back. And then the next one would go. So that is like showing them the way, right? Because that's our, that's probably our biggest not issue that's not the fair word but we don't actually know what it should look like at that level we right. see it on yeah. tv we see college nfl but actually we don't know what a practice is like and you know if you don't know what you're working towards people have done a great job in terms of trying to do the best that they can imagine but until you're in there you have no idea how quickly it goes <laughs> it's crazy you know you get five minutes for individuals and these guys all have to get eight reps of this and then you have to get to run skelly now you have to get at least two reps of catching a pass from the quarterbacks and then you're into this and that so you know i think time everything film everything and just really bring great energy to all that we do and those are things that we we can change and those are easy fixes and quick wins really yeah and it requires a lot of people but i imagine now that the sport's sort of growing here you've got people that have maybe retired from playing or only play part-time and they're able to move their skills to on the coaching side of it. Yeah. And that's what we hope for, right? We want to have retention in our sport. And if we, but really you have to look at how do we retain people and why would like, why would you guys want to stay involved in the sport? Well, hopefully you've had a really great coaching experience, which is going to make you want to get invested more into the sport or you've, loved playing with some of your teammates there's always got to be something that really draws us into it the love of the game is great but if you don't have a great experience then you, you probably will find something else that you love instead yeah that's absolutely fair I mean we can't talk about the Bills you were there for Josh Allen's rookie year yeah. when you're watching him now is that something that you could sort of see happening or is his growth even a bit of a shock to yourself no, you know what? He's always had an incredible arm that has been apparent since day one, right? Like we would be in walkthroughs. So 
you know, some of our walkthroughs we would do inside, like if it's the night before game, you're in a hotel, we get the offense together, just literally like walking some routes in one of the hotel uh, lobbies. And he would sling some of these footballs without even trying. And the guys are like, dude, my fingers, we're walking through this, you know, and he could easily just like casually throw it 60 yards in practice. And um, so seeing that, but really the biggest growth that I've seen from him is his decision-making. He used to make some really poor decisions at first where he'd be, you know, trying to just hold the team up by himself and like rolling out, throwing the ball across his body into coverage. And I think time and time again, we kept seeing those mistakes. And, you know, I think also as a rookie, it's really hard to read some of the defenses and that's a, you know, that's a game plan, right? Is to try and confuse a rookie in terms of what defense you're showing. I mean, I remember one time we had someone, we were, they're playing uh, like a Tampa two. Hmm. They showed, they showed three high. They're playing a Tampa two with the corner dropping to be that middle Tampa player. I mean, as a rookie, as an, as a veteran, that's, that's confusing, right? So you get lots of crazy defenses like that coming at you. And, um, you know, so now to see him making these great decisions, being assertive with the ball, but he's always been able to like throw it in tight windows at like a hundred miles an hour. He's incredible. <laughs> and he didn't teach you how to throw. No, you know who taught me how to throw, right? I'll, I'll be, I'll be quick with my story. I, so pregame, you don't really see it on the TV, but, um, pregame usually the guys go out they just want someone to like pass around with them or anything like that and I remember all through training camp um so we had Shady McCoy or LaShawn McCoy however people want to call him we had him and he used to always try and like you know we always do ball securities he used Mm -hmm. to try and get out and I would throw him the ball and he he was like oh he just throw the ball with me and I remember throwing it the first time my first training camp and he was like if you ever throw me the ball like that again. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, you know, I was mortified. To throw, yeah. yeah, exactly. I was like, oh my gosh. So the next year, basically, I spent trying to learn how to throw the ball. And I remember we were at, um, we were at Green Bay and he was like, all right, come warm me up then. And so I went and threw him the ball and he was like, oh, you've been practicing. <laughs> but honestly, there's no great, like greater feeling than, you know, someone recognizing that, that I'd really been working hard at trying to be better for the for him, for the team. So that was pretty cool. So I've learned to throw. <laughs> <laughs> and are the Bills going to win it all this year, do you think? Oh, man, they're playing tonight. I'm excited. They are playing tonight. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I think that they definitely have a really strong chance. I think this year the offense has stepped up a lot. The defense last year, past couple of years, has really kind of – held the team um and even this year when the defense wasn't at its best the offense really picked up so you know I'm excited to see the the two sides really come together and then obviously the addition of of special teams to secure that field position but it's uh it's pretty exciting and I've been thrilled you know I said hey you guys get playoff well when you get to the playoffs Super Bowl I'll be right there supporting with you so (laughs) just save me a seat I mean, I, I think the, we've said it a few times on the podcast as well, how much the Bills have been a great story this year. Um, and obviously, a lot of that, I think, is down to Sean McDermott, McDermott sorry, and, and what he's installed in with the Bills. I mean, what was it like working under him and, and as part of that coaching staff? 
Yeah. And it's been really, you know, I think that's a big part of it to kind of come in. So I came in when he was brand new as well. Um, and, you know, I remember at the beginning, him bringing the entire building together, right? So not just our coaching staff, but your marketing, your front of office, your ticket sales. I mean, literally anybody who worked in that building, he brought into the room and was like, this is the culture that I, I want. This is the you know process is going to be. And he's like, if you're not on board, basically get out, right? Because there was a really not great culture that was there before. Mm. So he just let you know that we're all on the ship and we all got to be pulling in the same direction. And, you know, it's been really, it's been really cool to be a part of that journey. You know, it has its highs and its lows for sure. And it has a lot of learning experiences along the way, but it is genuinely, you have to believe in the process and you can see the guys are buying into that process. Now you can, you can see the culture coming across on the field, the energy that they have for each other to be successful and, especially the NFL, that's so tough to, to create, not only because each guy has their own deals going on. And if they get this, they get X amount of money that puts, that makes it complicated, but also at any time, one of you could be gone and to create a family and create that, that culture of like heart, they all want to play for each other. is pretty special to see. And, And I think that's why they're such a great team to watch and, and kind of be a fan of, but also when you're in it, you know, you genuinely, you want to be the best version of yourself and you want to get better every day, not just for yourself, but for your team as well. And everybody in that building is like that from your head coach, your owners to the cafeteria staff, everybody has that same vision and that same mission that we're working towards. And that's a really special feeling to be a part of. Nice. Who, you, who do you guys support? Oof. Well, I, I'm a Miami fan. So, yeah, um, so, so he loved hearing all that Bill stuff. Yeah, that, that was music <laughs> to my ears, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think it's absolutely fair, to be honest. Um, I'm very glad that someone other than the Patriots is top of AFC East. So, you know, Tell me about it. would be better if it was Miami, but I'm, I'm happy that the Bills have sort of dethroned the Patriots as, at, at the moment anyway. Definitely. And two is amazing. He's been two electric to watch. Two is amazing. <laughs> I say it every week and they shoot me down, but two is amazing. He is amazing. <laughs> now, I've had a less amazing season. I'm an Eagles fan. So I got I got very excited when you said the McCoy story, though, because that was my first jersey I ever owned. So I think that's the best news we've had as an Eagles fan in the last <laughs> six months or so. So thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Poor Eagles. That is a interesting division right now the the best of the worst going on <laughs> yeah i think interesting is definitely the kindest yeah. way you can say it <laughs> have you got any plans or anything any football things you want to share with our audience about coming up in the next couple of months or anything um just basically you know as the uk jukes we've got our um children's book out which we were so proud of uh awesome. personally you know having a female lead in a book is always exciting, but also having a, a book about flag football that we hope kind of break down, breaks down the barriers for people. There's not just the helmet shoulder pads version that there's also, you know, perhaps a more parent friendly version of the sport as well. <laughs> um, so really, really thrilled about that. Um, you know, and then I personally will be off to the States for lots of flag football going on in the month. And this year for flag football, we'll have the, um, the world championships in Spain, which has been announced for October. So 
So that would be pretty cool uh, to watch and support Team GB uh, for all those lovely fans of GB out there. <laughs> um, but then, you know, the rest of it is going to be leagues, tournaments, schools, programs, just really spreading the sport across the UK and Europe and, and doing the best we can to help people fall in love with the sport. Awesome. Now that, that all sounds amazing. And the book is called Eden and the Dukes, right? Yeah, that's the one. And where can they find it? Amazon. And it's in English, it's in German, in Dutch, Spanish. We got everything. Portuguese. <laughs> awesome. Is Christmas coming up as well, people? Not a bad little present, that for sure. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's probably all we've got time for but thank thank you so much for coming on it's been a real pleasure thank you so much for having me it's been great to talk to you guys thanks once again for phoebe Schechter for coming on the show it really means a lot to us slew i believe you've got some game picks for us some of us did well matt did terribly I thought so. I, I knew I goofed it this week. So basically what's happened it. is Matt has lost his second place. Stan is now seven points clear of any competition. He had a big week, 10 and four, just like yours truly. So now it's Stan at 125, 64 and one. And then in tied second place. Ooh, what? With 118, <laughs> 71 and 1 is Sam and Matt and Joe. What? Oh, God, oh, boy. <laughs> God, <laughs> fellas. You're equally losers. You're yeah. equal losers. Wow, amazing. This, this, is, this is kind I of terrible. have predicted though. it, sports fans. Matt was, I think, four points ahead of me coming into this weekend. Yeah, but I really wish you hadn't let me on the what did, So what did Matt do, Pete? He, bad, bad. he did. He did bad. Is what he did. Six and ten. I just goofed it, man. I, I bet you're wishing you had let me on the podcast now. No, we need uh, someone to run social media. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> but no, those standards are going to stay the same until next weekend because I think we all pick the Ravens tonight. So whatever happens there, no change at the moment. Lovely. And we'll to Joe's positivity going forward. My positivity is a positive change to everyone. Anyway, let's move on to our game of the week this week. Dropback game of the week, as voted by on our Instagram at the Dropback Steelers versus the Bills. What do you guys think, fellas? Um, I think the Buffalo Bills are going to be the clear favourites here, considering the Steelers are coming off quite an embarrassing loss to the Washington Football Team, and it seems the Buffalo Bills are going from strength to strength at the moment. So, I'm going to back the Bills in this one. Nice. Any other? Anyone who disagrees? <laughs> Are we all just backing the Bills? I do back the Bills, but I don't know. It just seems like one of those that Steelers are somehow underdogs for the first time this season. So Steelers I know. have lost a lot of close games throughout the season, though, and I think coming Won a lot to the of close this, games. Yeah, sorry. Um, but yes, they're, they're games that they would have lost in previous times, the, the classic like Steelers choke games. that they're. Well, that was I've... this weekend. Exactly. Uh, but like throughout previous seasons, when they even when they finished eight and eight, they had games where they could have won it and they just sort of choked it at the end. I think now they've they've come across a very strong Bills team. I think the Bills will win if they get up early and just kind of maybe favour the run game a bit more in the second half. If Allen can improvise, I think the Bills are going to win because. But can Allen improvise if the Steelers have got 
that good a defensive front that actually shows up this week? And also, like, can they run the ball? I don't, I don't know. Well, the thing is with the Bills is their run defense has improved from when Stan's grandma was going against them. I mean, <laughs> they did a good, they did it, they did a good job against the 49ers this week, who have arguably the best rushing attack in the league, bar Tennessee at the moment. So, I don't know. Even if you get James Conner back, it's a boost for the Steelers, but I don't know if it gives them the edge. Everything's saying the Bills for me. I'll probably end up picking them in the Pickhams, but it's just that little thing you go. Now nah, Steelers beat their competitors. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a good point to be fair, Slew. And I think obviously what with what we've talked about so far, um, you know, the Steelers' loss to Washington was obviously a shock. But I do sort of look at it a little bit as you know those sort of games are the banana skin games where it's like if you, if if Steelers rock up and smash Washington, everyone goes, well, that's as expected. It's a lose lose, isn't it? Exactly, it's a lose lose situation, and we have seen big teams fail in those situations before. Um, I don't think that it means the Steelers aren't, you know, who we thought we, oh, we, who we thought the they hook. were in terms of how they've played so far. They, they did not get let off the hook, but I, I, I do still think that they've got a lot of quality. Um, and I, I, I'm not sure if I have the Bills as the clear favourite on this one, but I still think I would lean towards them. Um, as you said, Joe, it's about whether Josh Allen can improvise and make things out of nothing. And he, he happens to be one of the best at doing that and has been one of the best. Alex Smith managed to do it so... sometimes last, last week. So, um, I, I've got the bills as well, just based on everything that we've said. And think that brings us to the end of all we have today. Thanks once again so much to Phoebe Schechter for coming on the show and speaking to Matt and Slew. We'll have to have you again on later on, maybe in the off season and have a proper chat. You guys were literally just saying that it sounded like it was a shame to cut us short. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The Dropback, on Facebook at The Dropback UK. Our articles and our new guest writer, Daniel Muller's article on the top Heisman candidates is available on thedropback.com or .co.uk, whatever you please. Thanks so much for downloading this week's episode. I've been your host, Joe. I've been Sam. I've been Star. The Dropback with Sam Lewis. Matt Burns-Peak, Joe Costanzo and Sam Wilson 